0: Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, an update from Tony Haskell, whose bout with cardiac sarcoidosis has gotten worse
1: after the uh, you know the rapid heart rate. So, w- what I was diagnosed with, which is I guess you know I learned at that time, was a uh, a common complication with sarc uh, where it's uh, ventricular tachycardia.
0: Tony first appeared on the FSR Sarkfighter podcast in March of 2023. At the time, he had been diagnosed but was experiencing few difficulties. Well, that changed.
1: You know, I'll say this more soberly now, is is that I don't know, you know, what six months from now will look like, or or a year from now will look like, whether I'll ever be back to where I was before, but that was in the past anyway. Now I'm just dealing with the future, and, and, you know, my outlook is to is to live as, as healthy as possible. I, um...
0: Coming up, the latest from Tony and a report that says death rates for people waiting for a lung transplant with sarcoidosis are higher than other people with different diseases.
1: This is the Fighter podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin.
0: Hello and welcome. This is episode 94 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. I want to remind you that Kind Sciences is researching a potential new drug for sarcoidosis. It's called nemilumab, which inhibits one of the key proteins believed to be responsible for granuloma formation and persistence in sarcoidosis. I invite you to listen to episode 69 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast where Kind Kinevint CEO Bill Gerhardt and the Director of Patient Advocacy Randy Rogers join me to discuss the status of Namiliumab, but also tell you how you as a sarcoidosis patient can participate in their phase two clinical trial called Resolve Lung. And there's a link in the show notes. All right, I'm recording this podcast on August 14th of 2023, so summer is cruising right along. I hope you're having a great summer. Mine's been good for sure, and I am headed to our family cabin on Lake Champlain for a week soon, so I'll be sure to let you know if I catch any fish. Uh, I'm, I'm just sure that you're on pins and needles, and you won't be able to rest until you find out how many and how big the fish are that I catch. But uh, I intend to spend a great deal of time fishing. And even if you're not on pins and needles, I am because I'm anticipating how good or bad the fishing might be. Um, now, I'm also looking forward to a couple of other things. I used to get up to our cabin where uh, my our family has had this place since I was in grade school. So let's say going on five decades. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a time when I was up there and all I wanted to do was water ski and see if I could do the, the latest thing. And you know, I eventually learned to slalom ski, you know, ski on one. And you know, I wanted to jump the wake. I wanted to cut harder. I wanted to, you know, do all these, all these things that guys in their teens and 20s, like to do. But you know, now other than the fishing, I think I'm probably looking forward to the bonfire in the evening. So our cabin or camp, if you will, is right on the right on the shore of Lake Champlain and the shore there is rocky. Um, it's sort of a it's it's very smooth small pieces of shale that have been worn down by the water over time. So these are like rocks that you would pick up, and they're perfect for skipping on the water, right? But it's not a sandy beach. It's a it's sort of a, a rocky beach with clay underneath all these all these rocks. But it's a perfect place to have a very nice safe bonfire with the driftwood and so forth and we've actually constructed a little handmade fire pit with rocks all around it right on the right on the edge of our lawn where the lawn meets a seawall that then goes down to the beach and the seawall is just made up of big boulders it's not like a nicely made seawall and, and most people don't do that on this lake because the weather and in particular the ice uh, is so bad in the winter, and the ice just expands up onto the land or next to the land, and it just rips up anything that you have there, so you can't leave your dock in the water, nobody does. everybody has a removable or a floating dock and anyway, so it's 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 rough and beautiful all at the same time, and I'm just looking forward to sitting out there in the Adirondack chair with a cold beer, hopefully after having caught some fish or ridden my bike and with my wife and I and a couple of friends and I think my mom and dad who are in their late 80s are going to visit for a couple of days so I'm just looking forward to that just a just a a mellow time Um, and it's it's just uh, it's just a new way of kind of looking forward to my week in Vermont, and the other thing, the other thing that we're going to do is we're going to go up and hopefully spend a night in Burlington, beautiful little city, Burlington, Vermont, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. It's got beautiful rail trails. Uh, they've got a thing there called Church Street, which is this just open boulevard with stores, and they're kind of funky, kitschy, and outdoor stores and restaurants. Uh, There's no cars allowed on this street. It's just for walking only, but there's street performers that are good. I mean, really, you know, you want to stop and watch them. Um, And, of course, I like all the outdoor stuff, and they, you know, they sell kayaks. And not that I'm going to buy a new kayak, but I like to go in and look at them and um, stand up paddle boards, which I don't have the balance to do anymore. Thank you, Sarcoidosis. Um, And, you know, just, you know hiking shorts and, and gear and, and there's a beautiful bike shop there two or three actually beautiful bike shops and it's just fun to do the walk uh, and, and sit in, in an outdoor cafe and have lunch and that sort of thing so that is really really fun and then there's something there called the causeway uh, which goes out into the middle of Lake Champlain And so you're riding on this causeway, it's an old abandoned railroad line, but on either side of you, literally maybe 20 feet on either side of you is the lake. So you, so you're riding and it's just gorgeous with Lake Champlain on either side of you. And then you get to the end of this because they had to create a gap so boats could go up and down Lake Champlain. So there's a gap of several hundred yards where the boats go through, and you can get a ticket for what they call the bike ferry, and they'll take you across that two or three hundred yards with your bicycle, and then you resume on the causeway on the other side of this gap, and you can go up into these islands, these big islands that are, I mean, big enough that they have farms and stores and little villages. Um, and so the lower island is called South Hero. So we want to ride our bikes and do that, that ride across the gap uh, and then... Um, and then ride up into South Hero and, the, and then go back. So that I'm really looking forward to that. But that's very mellow bike riding. It's kind of sit up and look around bike riding. And so I'm looking forward to, to riding the causeway. And once we're done with the bike rides, maybe we'll go in, back into town, visit a brewery or true and, uh, and all that. And then we'll just head on back to our cabin, which is only about Eh, give or taken it's it, it looks like it's 45 minutes but with traffic it's an hour go back to the cabin and enjoy a couple more days and maybe maybe catch another fish and the other thing up on Lake Champlain you have to worry about is the weather because um, it gets windy and it gets white caps on it and that's that's no fun for outdoor activity in the lake and you know as the as fall starts to come the lake can get really, really rough this time of year, but we'll find something to do and it'll be great. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to getting away from what's been kind of a stressful summer uh, in the TV newsroom where I work. I just think it's funny that, uh, you know, in 2019, I was emerging from a couple of tough years with my neurosarcoidosis and I wasn't sure if these kinds of days and these types of vacations would ever return. And now that they have, I just want to say how that I am extremely fortunate and I do not take them for granted. I don't take my health for granted. And I always said, you know, if I ever got healthy again, knock on wood, that uh, that I would really sort of double down on, on realizing how lucky and fortunate I am to be able to, to do these types of things and live that life. So speaking of that, I want to share with you some information that Sarcoidosis News is reporting, and this is another post written by Marissa Wexler, and in essence, it says that sarcoidosis patients with pulmonary SARC are being passed over for lung transplants compared to patients with other different diseases, and I want to just hit some high points on this report, again, from Sarcoidosis News and reporter Marissa Wexler. So here's what it says. And again, this just came out. uh, I received this email this morning. You can subscribe to Sarcoidosis News. It's free. Um, But it, it says death rates while waiting for a lung transplant are disproportionately higher among people with pulmonary sarcoidosis than for those with other lung disorders. And this is according to a U.S. study. And then there's a quote I'll read to you. It says, our research shows that further consideration needs to be given to how we classify patients with sarcoidosis and how we calculate their risk of dying on the wait list. Researchers wrote this in a study called Sarcoidosis Lung Transplantation Waitlist Mortality, a National Registry Database study, which was originally published in erj open research and so what I'll do is I will post a link to all of this in the show notes but again I want to give full credit to sarconosis news to reporting this I'll give you just a little bit more background Um, there's something called the lung allocation score or LAS and that's been used since 2005 and essentially that is how they figure out um, who gets the priority for a lung transplant and it was designed based on uh, common lung diseases like idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. And You've probably heard of that. And the, other, the first one is called IPF. But COPD, you, you hear a lot about these days. Well, after they put that system into place, the number of patients with those illnesses who died while waiting for a lung transplant dropped, which is good news, Right. But despite these well-established benefits for IPF and COPD, the story reads, the LAS may not be as effective for prioritizing lung transplant in people with pulmonary sarcoidosis. So currently, the LAS divides pulmonary sarcoidosis patients based on the presence of high blood pressure in the lungs, which is known as pulmonary hypertension, and that's a well-established risk factor for having worse lung disease. And essentially, and I'm not going to continue to read this to you because I think you, you get, once they get down, they get very granular here, but the more they look at it, the more they realize that they might have to reevaluate the way that people with uh, pulmonary sarcoidosis are evaluated, that they, they may be getting tossed out of the, uh, the, the prioritization process in order to get a lung transplant, and and so mortality rates are higher than maybe they should be uh, for people with sarcoidosis. So I thought that was interesting, uh, and I I don't like to, uh, as a reporter, I don't like to take somebody else's work and just read it to you verbatim. I want to make sure I give them ample credit and and to share a link to their work, uh, and I simply don't have the time for the most part to do. Primary reporting. I wish I did on uh, what's going on in the world of sarcoidosis, but right now I have to look at these other sources and then just be a conduit to pass that along to you. And of course, I do have an opportunity to interview lots of researchers, and I would consider that to a certain extent primary reporting, but it's not like I'm getting getting detailed down down into these stories. What I want to do is I want to find them, tell you about them, and let you read them at your leisure. And I feel like this one is definitely worth. of it, uh, especially since when you look at the fact that most people who have sarcoidosis have pulmonary SARC, and that may be something that is relevant to you. So now I want to play a brief clip of my original interview with Tony Haskell, and he first reached out to me earlier this year when there was a possibility that he and I would join another guest, Bryce Robertson, for a fundraising bike ride. And I've talked a lot about that on the podcast. And at the time, Tony knew he had cardiac sarcoidosis, but it wasn't slowing him down much. Here's what he said. Um, and so how has sarcoidosis impacted your daily life with family, siblings, whatever? How, how has it changed what you're up against?
1: You know, it really hasn't impacted me yet. Um, I, I think when I had to explain everything to my family, I, obviously they were concerned. Um, it's it's not the easiest uh, thing to, to explain to someone because I'm still searching for answers. I don't have all the answers. Um, it's going to be an ongoing, um, you know, thing we're all going to have to deal with. Uh, and, and there's going to be, uh, again, just, Learning as much as I can. There's going to be some twists and turns in the road. I don't think this is something that's ever going to 100% go away. Hopefully, it goes in recession, and then you know I can forget about it. But I don't think it's 100% going away. Uh, so, in that regard, just explaining it to friends and family is um has been a has been a challenge just to have everyone kind of get their their arms around it. But in terms of my my daily life, um, aside from just feeling a little bit fatigued and and, um, you know, uh, maybe just a little bit out of breath sometimes it hasn't really affected me yet.
0: Well, Tony and I have stayed in touch, and his situation has gotten worse. In fact, only recently did doctors even clear him to ride an indoor bike, and even then, only very lightly. And he is now doing short rides in the gym and he's fundraising for FSR. So coming up, I want to ask Tony how things went from being okay to not so good, and my interview with Tony is coming up next on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast.
1: I feel like a zombie Just feeding at Stumble.
0: Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple make a donation to KISS, kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Shark Fighter podcast. Welcome back to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. Joining me now is Tony Haskell, uh, his second appearance on the Sark Fighter podcast. Tony, welcome.
1: Thank you, John. It's good to be back.
0: So the last time we spoke, um, you had been diagnosed with cardiac Sark, but you weren't feeling too bad. And then since then, things have gone downhill a little bit. Why don't you bring everybody up to speed?
1: Well well, thank you again. And and um yeah, I, I don't know if it's gone downhill. I, I think um the right term for me at least would be I was a little bit naive, uh when when we last spoke in mid March, exactly what it was. And I think the, the actual day that we spoke, I had uh, scheduled my next PET scan for the end of April. Mm-hmm. And so um just to you know, to revert back, you know, I, I had been diagnosed with with uh sark uh at the third week in september and immediately had a procedure for a, a defi- defibrillator pacemaker and um and then starting in january uh got put on uh several different drugs to combat everything including um prednisone so you know when i spoke to you i was you know that was right in the middle of the first quarter or the end of the first quarter And I was getting all juiced up because I felt like I was in the gym working out. And, uh, you know, it was getting a little bit warmer after a long winter. And I was ready to go uh, hop on the bike and and resume normal activities. And literally what happened was, I'd say in mid-April, I only took two outdoor bike rides. The first one, my heart rate went up to about 185. And then on the second one, I was up in Massachusetts riding with a friend on a simple 25 mile or thereabout ride. And about literally five, 10 minutes into the ride, I, I, it is up in Concord mass and told her like, we got to pull over for a second. My heart rates up at two Oh five. And, and so uh, so that, that, that was a little scary. And then, you know, soon thereafter uh, I had my PET scan and then, you know, as, as you're aware, you know, it's about three days later, I, I wanted to go see my cardiologist and, um, you know, the news wasn't good. And I, I wasn't expecting good news after, after the, uh, you know, the rapid heart rate. So w- what I was diagnosed with, which is, I guess, you know, I learned at that time was a uh, a common complication with SARC uh, where it's a ventricular technocardia, which is very rapid heart rate, which can be dangerous. So for the time being, they banned me from doing anything where my, uh, where I able to get, you know, really into heavy cardio. No, no elliptical, no indoor bike, no outdoor bike. Of course, nothing of that. And um, and then they cranked up the prednisone. I at the highest level in the first quarter, I had been at I think either forty or fifty milligrams. And now they cranked it up to hundred milligrams, and um, wow. I wasn't really too much affected when they had those lower doses. But I can tell you once once the hundred milligrams kicked in, I was, I was not happy.
0: It. Yeah. So um, while that you're the first person I've talked to, who's that I've talked to, who's taking a higher dose of prednisone than me, because I was at eight. So a right. hundred.
1: Yeah. A hundred.
0: Yeah. So weight gain. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, you know, what, what I noticed first and foremost was listen, I'd put on weight since this whole thing started. So, the weight gain, but also just the, um, the loss in muscle, uh, tone. And, you know, I looked at my quads and they were like half the size of, of what they were. And, you know, it was interesting. I noticed it mostly when, uh, I would, I I go in the city, uh, I, I live outside New York city and I, you know, it's, it's hybrid. So I'd go in the city every Wednesday and Thursday and just to get my, some exercise, I'd take an early train in. I'd get into Grand Central and then I'd walk, from Grand Central down to the World Trade Center, which is a, just about a three mile walk, and I would do this every day up until you know just recently because it's just too hot. But I noticed that I was kind of like dragging and mm-hmm. really tired on these walks after they started putting me on the hundred milligrams of prednisone. It was just like a fatigue and loss of strength, certainly in my lower legs and certainly in my upper body as well. And still not to where I was before, but you know, hopefully that'll get better.
0: Well so a 3 mile walk is not something that a lot of people would undertake regularly unless you're a hiker or or you walk for fitness but you just did it to um just to kind of part of your transportation and and build some fitness into that as well um so were you able to walk without jacking your heart rate like you did on your bike ride or how did that yeah. work out
1: Yeah I mean I, I mean I'm doing maybe anywhere from 15 to 18 18- uh, uh, miles per, per, miles per uh, minute or per, uh, minute. per yeah, hour. Or per yeah. hour yeah. yeah. So, I mean, these aren't, I mean, I wasn't trying to like run or anything like that. I'm, I'm just trying to stay active. And, you know, I do a lot of, you know, every day I'll do, you know, depending upon the day, if I'm not doing another sort of you know weightlifting or, or now indoor bike, I'll do anywhere from three to six miles um, a day. Uh, and, and so that wasn't a big deal, but what I'm saying is, is that, I definitely felt it more. I was more fatigued and, uh, tired. And just, uh, again, my, my strength had had been sapped. And I I know if you talk to family and friends, I was more irritable and insomnia and and all the other nine yards that go along with, with the after effects of, uh, of prednisone.
0: Yeah. Prednisone. And how was your, um, how was your attitude around other people? Did you have a, a short fuse by any chance?
1: Um, I would say yeah I mean I I counted a, a few instances where yeah I was I was definitely uh my my irritation button was was uh quick and uh but you know it it is I warned people <laughs> so uh that so they knew it was coming but I but yeah I mean I, and also just emotional It was kind of of uh you know, weird you're going through this and you hear a song or something you know some story or whatever And uh, for whatever reason i just uh got more emotional than than i would normally do um uh, it, it was kind of strange uh but I,
0: yeah that that's consistent with everything i've heard and or felt about the prednisone but yeah. the good news is is that you are very close to being off prednisone right
1: I am. So I, you know, I, I haven't lost the optimism that I had when, when we first spoke. Um, I don't know, you know, I'll say this more soberly now is, is that I don't know, you know, what six months from now will look like, or or a year from now will look like whether I'll ever be back to where I was before, but that was in the past anyway. Now I'm just dealing with the future and, and, you know, my outlook is to, is to live as, as uh, healthy as possible. I, um, you know, they don't, want me in high altitude yet. So that might affect my uh, West skiing plans, but, but I could, I could get good news if everything goes well in the next two three months. And that might change as well. So one day at a time.
0: So let's back up just a little bit. So you, you discovered that things were not going well, you had your CAT scan and they put you on prednisone and some other medications, which, you know, feel free to mention those. And since then, they have told. They initially had told you, "Don't do anything that would jack your heart rate. Don't ride your bicycle. Don't ride an indoor bike. um, Don't do any of those things." Can you fill us in on how that all evolved?
1: Well, uh, let me let me skate backwards. So I I had the procedure uh, with the defibrillator pacemaker in end of September of last year. And then, you know, I guess for two, three weeks, they don't want you really doing anything because they want that thing to settle in into your, you know, right underneath your collarbone. And then, you know, I was free to to go at it. And I did go at it, uh, you know, building up my strength and and uh, and my cardio again until all this transpired in, in April, you know, mid-April with the uh, ventricular tachycardia. So, um, you know, nothing changed until right then, then, I couldn't do anything cardio wise. I could still do uh, you know, lightweight weightlifting and I could walk, you know, I felt like Forrest Gump. I was walking everywhere. I mean it was um but it wasn't high cardio. So that that's the only thing that changed. Really.
0: Okay. So so the only thing that changed was the was the fact that you couldn't go and do the more difficult things that you enjoy doing. Um right and and you and I have talked from from before and gotten to know each other kind of well through email exchanges and so forth you like to ski? Uh, right. you ride your bike, you you've got a family place in southern Vermont and right. so, and you work out a lot so and you live in Connecticut. So you're doing a lot of a lot of stuff, uh, all this walking in the city and, and everything. It's got to be frustrating not to be able to do what you're used to doing.
1: I hear you, John. I you know I, I I see you on Strava and you're having a great time on the bike, and I see all my friends doing you know their their thing between fifty to a hundred mile rides and you know beautiful scenery. So in that, I mean, is it frustrating that way? Yes, I guess it is. Um but i I really take the attitude of it is what it is, and I, you know, as I think I've told you, I, I I recently or just recently finished a a fundraiser for uh, Foundation for Stecting does Research. And so it was, uh, you know, five plus hours of staring at myself in a mirror in the gym while, while pedal away on an indoor bike, which is, uh, uh, you know, I have a face for radio. That's why, that's why it is a podcast. Um, but it is what it is. Like I, I could, uh, you know, we've talked before I, I could, I could be a glass half empty and be like, oh, you know, pity me. I can't be out there on the bike this summer, or I could be like. There's a lot of people with worse stuff than me right now, so it's it just is what it is. You just got to deal with it.
0: Well, that's that's a great attitude to have. So, all right, let's um, let's talk about your fundraiser. You said you just finished it. You'd still take donations, would you not?
1: Uh, of course. When I say finished it, my rides have been finished, but I'm in, I'm in sales, so nothing's ever finished. Uh, <laughs> right. So, or in fundraising and sales, the the window is always still open. So. Yeah, and 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 um and proceeds have still been coming in over the past couple of days. So I'm I'm I've been really heartwarmed by the response from my family and friends. Uh, We're over, I think we're about a seventy three hundred dollars right now, and and awesome. um you know that that's I I couldn't be more pleased and, and blessed with with the network of family and friends that I have. So uh, it was uh you know as I said I I, I think these rides, as you know, you've done the indoor bike I. I think mm-hmm. they're harder than the outdoor bike mm-hmm. not in the sense of of obviously on the outdoor bike you have you know wind and other variables that you're dealing with but the indoor bike there's no let up um, there's you know you're constantly going you're you're not coasting down anything you're not you know you can't lay off you're you're constantly pedaling and again it, it's kind of boring you're, there's no scenery or people to be talked with
0: yeah. Why well, you said you listen to podcasts. I highly recommend this one. Uh, that'll get you for, <laughs> through the first <laughs> 50 exactly. minutes to an hour. Typically. Um, you, we have not talked. Would you just tell people what you do in the city? You mentioned you're in sales and you, you're doing this, this uh, kinds of, it sounds like a glamorous walk down <laughs> to uh, just tell down us about
1: that. Well, I've been in the media business my entire career. Um, predominantly in in uh, business as well as sports. So I did a, a men's journal magazine when they launched way back in the early 90s uh, and also at Ski Skeen and Warren Miller um, uh, back in about 15 years ago or, or a little less than 15 years ago, but predominantly in the business sector with the likes of Fortune, uh, Bloomberg, uh, Money Magazine when it was around. And now I'm at a wonderful brand, Inc. Magazine, or Inc. Business Media, and we're not not so much in print anymore. It's, it's a full channel, faceted, um, you know, full circle of of uh, digital, print, live events, podcasts, etc. So uh, just been in the media business on the business side of it in, in sales and partnerships.
0: Yeah. So so when you go to work day to day your job is to do what are you selling advertising or are you working on mergers? What exactly are, are you doing? How does it work?
1: I'm I'm not an MA. I'm, a, I'm on the advertising sales. So it's partnerships. So for example, if, you know, if we have a podcast, on um, you know, which we do, I mean, we have all different, different uh, things that we on the editorial side, much like in your day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, we, we, we derive the revenue so we can create all this wonderful content and and serve it out to our audience of small business owners entrepreneurs etc and um so that's what i've been doing throughout my career
0: has the has the sarcoidosis hindered your ability to go to work and accomplish those things
1: it hasn't i mean i again uh, you know maybe some fatigue in the afternoon but um i've really fought hard against that um and and so I don't think it's affected too much, um, in terms of really getting in the way. I mean, I've had to take some time here or there in the mornings or whatever it might be for doctor appointments, but, but other than that, no.
0: I found that my attitude changed a little bit and I've heard other people say that here on the podcast that we've talked with, um, that maybe they just weren't as anxious to take on like the extra project, uh, that work wasn't quite as important. You know, there's this big word out there that has nothing to do with sarcoidosis called quiet quitting where people just sort of back off, what they stay in place at work and that's sort of a post pandemic thing. So I don't want to suggest that at all, but, um, but people have said, yeah, you know, I could continue to work, but I wasn't the aggressive worker maybe that I was and and I don't want you to out yourself here in front of your colleagues or anything. I just I'm just wondering if you felt that
1: way. I don't think so. I, I think you know I'm still. Uh, I joined Inc. in early to mid December of last year. Okay. And I haven't been in a you know I, I've been the publisher of a magazine and in, in management. And I've obviously in the beginning of my career I was individual contributor and I, and right now I'm an individual contributor. And so I had a lot to learn um, coming in this job, and I and I still do in terms of all the different facets that we have to to offer a marketing partner, uh, and particularly in the digital outset. So I've been kind of, uh, you know, what's the term? Uh, you know, with the fire hose, just trying to take that all in and absorb as much as possible. So I don't I don't have the luxury of uh, of stepping back at least. In, in the certain role that I'm in, in the timing that I've had. So I, I haven't had that same experience, but I, I do hear what you're saying because sometimes with all this going on, you're going to doctor appointments, you're, you're, you know, all the, all the body changes with the drugs and stuff like that. You might just want to take a back seat, but um, yeah, I, I haven't experienced that as much as perhaps others might have. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, that's great. I guess when you take on that job, right there in the midst of all of this, you, you know, you don't have any choice. You've got to go. You, it's not, you know, right.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, and do you work in a high rise?
1: Uh, I'm on the 29th floor. I'm, I'm literally, I can throw a football 30 yards in the world trade center. So I'm in several world Trade Center. Wow. That's um, awesome. And our, and our sister brand is fast company. So two sexy brands to, uh, to any listeners out there that are that are marketing directors or chief marketing officers?
0: Yeah, <laughs> those are. I mean, those are cool brands. I'll tell you what, yeah, I, I it's, I'm envious of of all those you know cool things that you're doing over there.
1: It's fun. It's fun, especially in this you know the small business operators. I, I've worked for uh, the likes of Fortune, which was a great experience, also. But those are obviously very large companies. When you're when you're working with small business owners, it it really gets personal and. Uh, you know just some fantastic stories of of their challenges and their opportunities and how they've kind of grinded through to get where they are it's 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 a fun brand
0: all right let's so let's go back to your fundraiser um since you're in sales and all of that and you've got the cool office on the 29th you say twenty floor or twenty seventh floor
1: twenty ninth floor
0: okay that's awesome great we don't in, in the in Roanoke Virginia where I live we don't have any buildings with twenty nine floors I think the tallest one is maybe 17. So 29th floor sounds, I know in New York, that's, that's not tall. Uh, that's not that high <laughs> compared to what it could be, but still, that's really, that's really awesome. So you originally and you and Royce Robertson and I had talked about at Royce's behest doing a bike ride and mm-hmm. Royce, uh, I believe wound up doing it as, of, as of the time I'm talking right now, I don't know his status. Maybe you can update us if you've talked to him. Uh, He was going to do a bike ride and we thought we might do it together. And then there was smoke from the Canadian wildfires. And then you got sick and Royce's schedule and mine didn't pan out. So first of all, you decided, okay, well, I got cleared to do the indoor bike. How far did you ride on an indoor bicycle? Which I can tell people is nauseatingly boring.
1: (laughs) Well, let me step back. I, I, um, I I was like you, I had a a scheduling conflict with Royce, so I couldn't, I couldn't do his ride okay. originally anyways. All right. Um I think they're still in the midst of it. Um, I, I haven't talked to him, but I've just been following him on, uh, on Instagram. So I think there's either just ended or still in the midst of it, but, but that was this past weekend. So he's been on his and then mine. I, you know, I, w- with COVID, you saw a lot of, um, uh, charity rides that, um, since people couldn't, do it in person they, they did a lot of hyper hi- or, or uh, virtual where you know wherever you're living you could you could still fundraise you just do a ride wherever you are mm-hmm. and so I just decide with this since I couldn't ride outside I'll do a hundred miles um indoors and I figured given where I am you know cardiovascularly and and I'm st- still doing okay um probably not like you know, a year and a half ago, but I, I figured I could do a hundred miles within five to six rides, which is exactly what I did. Uh, so I did six rides. Um, I think that two of them were an hour and, uh, four of them were about 45 minutes and, you know, cranking out around, you know, a little bit over 19 miles per hour. So, um, you know, it was a hundred miles, uh, broken up into, into six rides.
0: 19 miles an hour is fast. I mean, that's, that. So how was your heart rate for that?
1: Well, I think my heart rate is artificially low due to the um, uh, sarcoid and, and the different later um, pacemaker. Okay. So sure. it ranges anywhere from 105 to I think the highest it was, was 129, which, you know, if you're doing a, you know, if all of this wasn't happening and it was two years ago, it would probably for an outdoor ride range you know about 125 to 130 with a high of maybe 160 if I'm climbing mountains and stuff this is of course outdoors so I I, I you know again when you and I spoke if you recall you know part of the issues was was when I before I was diagnosed I was wearing an apple watch and and all the metrics on my on my uh, garmin bike and you know my heart rate resting heart rate was down around 30. Um, which is really low now. With the with the pacemaker defibrillator, it's there's a, a a basement of fifty. So, you know when I'm when I'm on the bike, unless unless something goes wrong with the ventricular tachycardia, um, I'm I'm usually lower than I was before all this.
0: Because your your resting heart rate was around thirty. Yeah, that's like pro athlete resting heart rate.
1: Yeah, except I'm not a pro athlete and then there's a problem with a 30 uh, resting heart rate. And that, that's why they were, they weren't messing around. They, they, uh, they wanted me in there. They were a little shocked that I was still standing. Yeah. It, you know, it went down to about 27, you know, the night before I had the procedure. So, you know, they, they, they were concerned. Um, and, but the, what, what they were shocked about is that I'm talk I was talking to them like I'm talking to you right now. Um, you know, which I was fortunate I was in pretty good shape when all this went down. So I think that helped me. But again, that's a very, very low heart rate that they had to, you know, they, obviously they need to do something to fix, which they did.
0: So um, what is the path forward for you now? So so they put you on the prednisone. So they're trying to knock this thing down to get the inflammation out of your system. They right. will try to maintain it with some other drugs. Can you share what those drugs are?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm on Metropole. Uh, which is a, you know, basically they give you that after someone that would have a heart transplant, obviously having that heart transplant, but it's really for, you know, to protect everything after, after a surgery or, you know, to, to protect the immune system. Uh And then I'm also in Celsept, uh, Entresto, and, and Um So, so that combination is there just to protect me as I got kind of go through this.
0: Gotcha. So, so for you next, you start to crawl out of this sort of safety zone you've been in with prednisone as bad as it is. And what happens next?
1: Well, the way I look at it is that uh, I'm taking the good news and running with it, but I'm not going to be an idiot. Uh, I will, you know, if, if something looks abnormal um and also you know they can see there's a monitor that i keep by my bed that is constantly taking data from the pacemaker and um so if, if the heart rate jumps considerably then then they'll know uh and i have a checkup in october um uh that you know though i'm sure i'll get another pet scan in october too and they'll, and they'll take a look so so my goal right now is to uh make sure the inflammation uh, reduction stays that way and obviously the prednisone did its job uh when they cranked it up there and and hopefully it just stays uh in remission and i go from there just one step at a time where um you know i get back into you know hopefully i can lose some of the weight that i gained i can you know get even stronger cardiovascularly and and life goes on and we go from there. That, that's my goal. Um, no, no more, no less than that.
0: Have you changed diet any? What you eat? <laughs>
1: I should have, uh, not really. I still have a pretty big sweet tooth. Um, you know, I've, I'm trying to, you know, not that I'm a, a, a big drinker, but I enjoy red wine and, and, you know, and the occasional bourbon here and there. I, I'm thinking of even cutting all that out. Uh, I, I find that I don't know whether it's because of the drugs I've been taking or uh, just age that uh, even even a glass of red wine, I, I just won't feel that great in the morning. So I'm just I'm I'm kind of thinking of just cutting everything out at the moment just to get a you know a fresh path forward.
0: Well, I know that I was I was looking at everything when I was in your position where I had this big flare and we had to get it under control. And I just felt as if I need to do everything on my side of the medicine that I could fix uh, yeah. once once I would have been able to work out again, to like work out, to be fit, to eat healthier. I went on something called the elimination diet and talked about that a lot um, mm-hmm. and and worked with the dietician um, who who I'll put her link in the show notes, uh, Lindsay Norenberg, um, Nourished by Lindsay but, and you can find her on the internet and she helped me out a lot. And I do feel like that helped. Doctors kept telling me, yeah, your diet's not going to matter, but I was, I felt like, you know, there are certain inflammatory foods that you can or cannot eat. If you can make a choice, why eat something that you know is inflammatory when what you're trying to beat essentially is inflammation.
1: I agree with you, John. I mean, I've, I've unfortunately been through a lot of uh, surgeries, um, from back surgery, from mountain biking accident to uh, torn ACLs 10 years apart, different knees, skiing, and then a a biking accident uh, in 2019. And, you know, particularly with the back surgery, I found that I went through regular um, physical therapy with that, but really helped the most was acupuncture. And um, I still, you know, whenever I have a flare-up with the back, I I go back to the acupuncturist. and, And thankfully, I've been able to find some good ones. Uh, all around the country, wherever I've lived. And uh, to get to your point, you know, from acupuncture to diet, I I think half the battle is mental and emotional. If it makes you feel better, then maybe it will make you better. Um, So I think, uh, you know, there's some steps I can take and that I will uh, from, you know, doing the best I can diet. I'm not going to, you know, if I want a chocolate cookie, I'm going to have a chocolate chip cookie, but I'm just going to try to reduce the, the amount of that in terms of of, uh, you know, limiting other stuff like, like wine or, or alcohol, that that's a pretty simple step that I can take that would just make me feel better. And, and again, you know, easier to get to the gym and, and do the things I like to do.
0: So what do your doctors think? Because the thing about sarcoidosis is that it doesn't always just go away I mean, they hit it hard. They have hit you hard. You've got some other yeah. sort of maintenance drugs. What, what are they telling you that they think your prognosis
1: is? from the first time I've gotten this that I think they've been hesitant to give me what their prognosis is because I think they've been very honest with me in terms of as you know there there is no cure for this that's why they give you the prednisone and um it's it's not I mean there's obviously been a lot of research and people looking into this but there is no magic bullet for this so I think they've been hesitant I think they've taken the same attitude I have they're just going to watch me closely and um they're going to hope it goes into remission that it that it uh, it looks like it has gone in remission now but they're going to watch me very closely um i know the electrologist is concerned about uh, bike ridings um you know to to get that heart rate high but my cardiologist is seems pretty comfortable with me doing that as long as there's no hiccups and that's that's really it right now i think the again it, these are short steps for me right now. Uh, you know, I'm gonna take this and and run with it, but then I'm gonna have to check up and PET scan in October. And if it's still all good, then we'll do several more. And the more where there's no problems, the better and, and hopefully I resume you know everything. Um what I don't know is is I don't know if there's been permanent damage caused by it. And I suspect there has been, but I just don't know how how much. And that's that for me is, is something I'll want to know moving forward.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're kind of on the precipice of finding out that kind of stuff and all you can do is sort of, I guess, creep forward. Is that a good way to put it in terms of getting a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more aggressive and waiting to see what happens?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, with the, where I am right now in terms of, of, I don't uh, nothing's changed in my daily life in terms of how I wake up and you know interact and socialize and anything like that. And especially now that I'm off the Prednisone, I think that'll be easier. But in terms of of okay, can I can I go plan a ski trip out west? Um will they ever allow me to go back on the outdoor bike? And even if they do, I want to, you know, my you know, w- w- I'll cross that bridge when it comes. I'm not going to rush that. Unlike you know the other injuries, this is not something where you just have surgery, rehab, and you're thrown back out there. Uh, this is the heart. So I can't, I can't really mess with that.
0: And that's the thing. You come back from these operations, and it's just a matter of getting over the operation. But in this case, you've got to get over something that wants to potentially stick around. And it's not like two weeks later, if you're just really diligent, you'll heal.
1: Right. Yeah, this is this is different. Uh, you know, it's certainly been a a bizarre and challenging year given that, you know, a year ago I had no idea what was going on with me. I knew something was wrong because as we had spoken about in the previous podcast, I, I, I was looking at the data on my garment, I was like, gosh, you know, my I'm I'm fatigued, my numbers aren't as strong on these same routes that I've been doing, my heart rate is you know, in the thirties, you know, I, I thought I had long COVID or maybe I had long COVID or I never had COVID. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I had. Um, and so until I was fully diagnosed that in some respects, there's a relief. It was like, all right, I'm not really out of shape, but (laughs) there's something wrong here. So, um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting year of learning and, um, just coming to grips with something that, um i have to deal with uh, much like everyone probably has to deal with something in their life that that throws them a curveball
0: so how do people contribute if they still want to uh, make a donation to your indoor bike riding effort
1: well i if if you can put the link uh, on the show notes that'd be great um but i i i believe that if you go to the fsr website um, there's a way where not just myself but others who are doing fundraisers you can find them as well. I'm not I'd, perhaps we can do a little bit of investigation to find that link as well and put it on the phone notes but um but you know the it, it the phone lines as Jerry Lewis would say, are still open or website in this case uh and and any any contributions would be dearly appreciated
0: yeah i um i I uh, will have made one by the time anybody hears this. Um, and the only reason I haven't is because just, I keep forgetting, you know, I get distracted. I pick up my phone. I've got a text. Oh no. I did then I didn't do it, but, uh, well, thank, thank you for, for doing that. That's a lot of money to raise. And hopefully people who, uh, who are listening will, uh, add a little bit more to the pot and you do go to, to the, uh, FSR website and you just search for kiss, which is kick In to stop sarcoidosis and scroll down. You'll see Tony's. Um, fundraising campaign, but also I will make it easy for you by putting a link in the show notes. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Good luck to you as you go forward. And let's hope that this is the end of your bout with sarcoidosis. And next year, this time, maybe we can do that bike ride.
1: John, I appreciate it. Um, If there's been any type of upside to uh, this diagnosis, it's been it's been meeting all the wonderful people at FSR, including yourself, which is my first touch point um, in, in terms of meeting the community. So I, I couldn't uh, be more thankful in terms of, of the new friends I've met and uh, the connections I've made. So so thank you for having me back on again as a repeat. And um, uh, you know, if anyone out there has any would like to talk about it, which is always helpful sometimes because that's what I did with several of your guests uh, after listening to the podcast. Please feel free to, to reach out to me.
0: So I'll put your email in the show notes as well. That'd be great. Okay. Be great. Thank you, Tony.
1: Thank you, John. I feel like a zombie Just feeding at stumbling
0: Well, I was very sorry to hear that Tony's health had gone south on him, but hopefully he'll be able to continue on the road to recovery. And don't forget, he is fundraising. There is a link to his KISS account in the show notes. And so please join me in making a donation to help in the fight against sarcoidosis. Now, I just want to remind you, the official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer, who plays in a band called the White Hot Lizards in Canada. You can hear Mark's story, which is the story behind those lyrics, which really kind of nail it, back in episode 12. I release this podcast every other Monday, and as I'm speaking today, let me check. Yes, there he is, my trusty dog, Dougal, my Rescue Boxer is curled up on the chair in my office, and Dougal makes my life so much better. He's not even looking at me to wonder why I'm saying his name. He's just conked out. The backstory to the founding of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson. Don't forget to follow the Fighter on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I even have a Peloton account as Fighter if you have an indoor bike called a Peloton. And my cycling blog, Carl and the Cyclist, has a section called "Cycling with Sarcoidosis." Also, if you're new here and just trying to figure out what SARC is, try listening to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. Think of that as, uh, think of that as uh, Sarcoidosis 101. Just like what is going on with sarcoidosis, how does it work? What do we know about how it starts in your body, and and why does it start? To the extent that we know, all of that is back in episode two. My story is episode one, and if you'd like to send me an email, it's in the show notes. It helps me reach more people and grow the show if you share it on your social media. And if you like it, I think what really helps the show and helps the cause is just tell one person. Tell one other person in the sarcoidosis space, your doctor, your nurse, uh, somebody that you work with, um, somebody else in the sarcoidosis space just say, hey, if you listen to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, a lot of good information in there. I do appreciate that. So uh, other than that, please just subscribe and give the show a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your downloads. And until next time, keep fighting.
1: Learn to